Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Brian Kaderna, and you're now listening to the Kaderna Podcast. So a few months back, I was watching a segment on 60 Minutes on the Economy that featured Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. And when asked about the greatest threat to our economy, he replied that it is cyber, which was kind of surprising to me from a finance guru uh, with everything you think about with debt, interest rates, inflation, and so many of the different things you hear in the news every day. But then just a week ago, I was listening to another podcast that featured General Stanley McChrystal, the former head of Joint Special Operations Command, in which he said that a huge cyber attack on America is not probable, but imminent. It's just a matter of when and how bad. So having heard you know, quite a bit about cybersecurity, and it's certainly front and center now in, in more ways than just one, you know, as the Fed chairman alluded to, so today I'm really excited to join an expert on this exact issue. So today we speak with Michael Abood. Michael is the CEO and founder of Tetherview, a leading pri- private cloud provider based in New Jersey. His firm helps companies build secure, compliant, and resilient business networks. If you notice the name, it's probably from one of the many conferences Mike has spoken at on the matters of cybersecurity and digital compliance. In his spare time, he's also a consultant to Columbia University's Center for Technology Management. Michael has more than 15 years of healthcare and business technology experience, and he attended both New York University and St. John's University, graduating with a degree in finance. Our conversation touches on topics such as ransomware, the solar winds and print nightmare attacks, computer literacy for youth, which I can't underscore enough, and how to stay safe on the web. So without further ado, please join us with Michael Abood. Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil. If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change the only constant. The Kadena Podcast. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, certainly. We're happy to have you here. So I know when we first started to uh, talking, you hear a lot about this in the news right now. Everybody is uh, pretty concerned about cyber. And it's my understanding that the Biden administration uh, just released a new approach on cybersecurity for federal agencies uh, that, again, my understanding, it relies a lot on cloud computing to fend off hackers and kind of modernize these defenses. So I thought we could start there and just kind of get your take on, on what they're doing. Is it working? And you know how that's unfolding right now. Yeah, happy to happy to jump in there. Um, you know, in the wake of the solar winds attack um, late last year, um, you know, it was announced that basically every single Windows machine in the world um, was vulnerable, and uh, it was discovered that solar winds manufactured or or produces software that helps large organizations, small organizations. Um, manage their IT infrastructure. So if you think about it, it's the ultimate backdoor. And these hackers, you know, had access to these backdoors now, what we're finding after doing a deep dive for many years. Um, So, you know, what's concerning is that the repercussion of that hack is still not fully known. Um, You know, a real hacker, especially a government-sponsored hacker, you know, their objective is to get in, be stealth, right? And, and not even know that they're there and, and kind of just collect data as much as possible. Um, and these folks figured it out. I mean, they were, they were in the back, back end of these networks at the highest permission levels, able to see everything that was going on for multiple years. 
Um, and it was almost discovered by accident, you know, that this exposure was there. Um, wow. And so hey, what, in, what, what in, was solar winds? If you can just kind of refresh everyone's yeah. memory on how that, what exactly that was. Yeah. So the solar winds hack again, right. It's a piece of software that has been around for decades, um, really powerful tool. And it allows um, IT professionals, the folks who manage IT infrastructure, um, to, to, to do that, right? It allows you to see machines that are on, activity inside a machine, remote into machines, take over these machines um, and manage them. Um, and so that's like the holy grail for a hacker, right? Wow. It's like the master key to get into everything. In, and so, so now you're saying... Go back to that point that you said that they're kind of like, um, you know, they're the ones that got in, but we're also kind of relying on them at the same point. Well, so SolarWinds was the company that got breached, right? Mm -hmm. So so what happened was um, the hackers got into the SolarWinds environment um, and they were able to inject some code that gave them the ability to kind of get control of, of, of almost anybody's infrastructure, right? And... Um, so SolarWinds was the company that was breached. And okay. as a result of them getting breached, all of their clients and anybody who was using their tools, certain tools were breached as well. Okay. That's uh, it seems like there could be almost like no end to this when you hear it like that, that they just they're, have, they're, it's kind of like they can get their fingers into anything from there. Yeah, it really, there really is no end to it, right? Especially that particular vulnerability um, you know, you have to assume that anything that was on a server during that period of the known breach is, has been exposed. Um, and then just to continue that thought a little bit, there was a, there was a vulnerability discovered by, announced by Microsoft called Print Nightmare. Um, I don't know if you heard about that or not. Most people haven't. Not really, and, no. Right. And so Print Nightmare was also another vulnerability announced by Microsoft um, and as you know, Microsoft powers, you know, 85 to 90% of every operating system in the world is, is touched by Microsoft. Um, so Print Nightmare was an exposure in everybody's computer, every single operating system across anything that had a Microsoft operating system had that exposure. And what that allowed hackers to do is literally remote take over a computer very easily, not, not much skill uh, necessary to do it. Um, and again, that exposure is, is it's, 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 it's undefinable. You can't really, I, I lose my words to define the scope and what, what that has created. So you have to go on the assumption there that based on that exposure, you know, you might, if you, if you didn't have the proper tools to kind of see and create additional perimeters, sorry to use it, you know, not really a technical world, but to create additional barriers for hackers to get in you have to assume that your entire network was exposed. You know, and even today, most people and even most service providers don't take, you know, and this is the unfortunate part, they don't take it seriously enough, right? So print nightmare is what we refer to as a zero day vulnerability, right? So zero day vulnerability, what that means is um, the manufacturer of the service of the software announces, hey, I've got this, this huge gap that we discovered in my software and we're telling you, you have to plug it today. But when they tell you, they're also telling all the bad guys, right? 
So you as a small business owner, as other small business owners, they sit there and they're, you know, they depend on like Microsoft's of the world or maybe their service providers to plug these holes. But when, when you announce that, that zero day vulnerability, you know, it's, it's literally telling everybody who may or may not have been aware of it. Now I can go and get, get data from wherever I like. Um, wow. You know, so, so again, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot to digest, right? But it it's is. literally, it's... it's literally every single computer, right? And, you know, for the past few years, like what I, for the past six months, what I do with some folks is like, you know, I say, hey, let's, let's go on your computer and see if you've ran an update. Right. And to make to make the situation worse, worse with like print nightmare, for example, you know, it's a very complicated update. It actually requires you to update your computer multiple times before you can get rid of that particular exposure. Right. And Mm -hmm. most people don't do that. Right. So if you're if you're even sitting at home and you're stuck on your computer and you see, hey, 10, 15, 20, 30 updates to, to go, you might hit it once go walk away. You think it's running the next day. It may or may not run. Um, but it, it's, it's a pretty complicated update to push. And if not done properly, you can actually have a sense of false security thinking that it is updated, but you still have that vulnerability. And now just out of curiosity, like when something, an event like that happens, is there any way to go back and see if your stuff, whether it's, it's an individual or a company, like if their stuff was actually copied or exposed uh, or is there just no telling like you were exposed? Yeah. We don't know if they're doing anything or if they actually have your information though. Yeah. I mean, so I, I've been involved in a number of investigations and yes, you can, it requires some forensics, right? Some pretty detailed kind of diving into the back end of machines to kind of determine what the, what the level of exposure is. Um, it's, it's hard for, you know, a non-highly trained tech person, non-tech person to, to determine that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and so it's, it's important, you know, for businesses to really protect themselves, you know? So yeah, some of the conversations we have, it's like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work with, um, I'm, I'm involved with Columbia University. And one of the folks that I work with, my mentor over there, a guy named Tom Cowan, um, you know, we have this theory of this is an unwinnable battle, right? And we, we're kind of, you know, joking around about it. But, you know, if it's unwinnable in the sense that it, it's you need to kind of stay on top of it, right? And unfortunately, a lot of folks have that, that mentality like, hey, I can't beat the system. So, look, if the NSA got hacked, what's the big deal if I get hacked, right? And the problem, that's really... The crux, you know, if I wanted to tell you where my my frustration point with cybersecurity is, it's right there. You know, it's this lack of responsibility. It's not my job. I'm not a tech person. Why should I be responsible for protecting my computer, my data? Yeah. And I think that's a great segue too. I think what so many people struggle with is you hear what you just laid out in the past five, 10 minutes, and it's it can be horrifying. It's like, oh my gosh, you're telling me almost everything I have, everything I work for or create could possibly be exposed and or stolen. And then I think kind of the knee jerk reaction to that is like either A, you're going to panic or B, you're going to put your head in the sand and say, this is just nuts. Let's go on living our lives. What else are we going to do? 
So like, what is, is the person or the company, like, what are they supposed to do uh, amidst their daily lives to be safe, but not just go crazy every day? Look, I think you have to evaluate the risk, you know, just like in your, in your world, it's a risk reward situation. Um, You know, if, if you have uh, data that's very benign, okay. And it's pretty obvious. It's not, it's not critical. Okay, you know, use it in a less safe way, maybe. Okay. But if you're a registered investment advisor, right, or you're in the healthcare world, or you're in another situation where a breach could create reputational harm to you, you know, you really gotta analyze and say, hey, if this if this data gets out there, it's gonna be really harmful to me, either financially in a reputational format, you know, or you know, it could be you're working on the next formula to Coke, right? And it gets out there and now, you know, you, you're, you're not, you, you're, your life's work is gone. So what we ask people to do is really just sit there and analyze the risk on what they're doing. So for example, one of the things we, we like to do is, is separate your business data from your, your personal data, right? And not even give you the ability to commingle the two, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the technologies that we strongly advocate, that I strongly advocate, is the use of something called a virtual desktop. And this is not for the consumer, mm-hmm. right? So the concept of a virtual desktop is that it's built for businesses. So someone like you know me, anybody who works in a business, who now is probably working remote 50 plus percent of the time, working from home, want to be on the road, um, you have your virtual desktop. So now you, you have this virtual desktop, which is very locked down environment. Right? And we've coined this term here at Tetherview called the digital bunker. And, and again, the concept is, of the digital bunker is that we use this virtual desktop, which allows you to log into your work environment from any device, any place, anywhere over any internet connection. But once you're in there, it's a highly controlled space, right? Okay. So if you think, if you think of like Mission Impossible, right? Where I think it was the first one that Tom Cruise did where he's hanging from the ceiling and he's breaking into that secure room, right? Um, we want to create a situation where it's a highly controlled environment so that, you know, you're not opening your Gmail account, right? Um, talking to your friends about the football game um, and then clicking some, some silly link, you know, at two o'clock in the morning um, and then exposing your corporate data by doing that. Okay. So what we, now, what, would that be yeah. a, a VPN? Is that? No, what, no. That's something yeah. different. Yeah, that's something different. So, you know, the concept of a VPN, it's technology that was built, I want to say it was first developed like in the 80s with the modem, right? Okay. And and literally the concept of a VPN is now you're saying you've got your trusted network where your corporate crown jewels are, right? And let's call that the crown jewels. And now you're saying, Brian's working from home. I'm going to create a VPN from his laptop that's not maintained, that's not, that's not up to date, that's subject to all of these print nightmare and zero day vulnerabilities. And I'm going to say, I trust that, that laptop implicitly. And so when I create that VPN, I'm doing a handshake and I'm giving that laptop that's sitting God knows where access to my network. So what, what we want to do is minimize the number of VPNs that an organization has. And because a VPN is like an open window. As soon as you open the window, you know, anything can come in. You might put a screen to stop the insects, 
but you're not going to stop the noxious gas from coming in. You know, if someone wanted to do that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cause you hear a lot of these different terms or acronyms kind of thrown around. And, uh, and like you, you mentioned, I mean, full disclosure for everybody, obviously I'm a registered investment advisor, CFP. And we seem to have every day, uh, I mean, endless layers of new updates and encryptions and, and oversight and all this stuff that I don't really understand. And I think for a lot of business owners, it's, it's somewhat of a leap of faith that, you know, you say, okay, I'm, I'm either doing it on my own, which maybe the small entrepreneur does, or when you get into the places, like you said, healthcare finance, now you have, you're usually outsourcing to bigger companies, or if you're large enough, have your own IT company. And, uh, and you're just hoping that all these things, which are really like in, in our world are abiding by the guidelines set out by FINRA and SEC and others, um, that the IT guys kind of have to follow whatever they're putting out to stay compliant. And you just hope that all of that together is like enough. Um, so it's, it is interesting because it seems like a lot of people aren't experts, but those experts are the ones that kind of hold the keys to the castle in a sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. The IT guy, I put, I put my hands up in quotes here on a, on an audio podcast, but <laughs> you know, the IT guy in a business, and I'm one of them, you know, there's there, there, the, the, the concept is still that the IT guy is responsible for anything that's plugged into a wall. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, you know, that's still kind of the, 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 the boards of organizations, the, um, you know, the stakeholders of organizations, big and small, you know, they're not giving IT guys a seat at the table where they should be. Um, some organizations use it like fintech firms with prop trading, right? They, they, they look at it, right? And they say, hey, IT is, is also this building this algorithm to, you know, to trade all sorts of derivatives and make money, um, but they're still putting in pieces of IT and not separating it into the way it should be. Um, so again, you know, my my goal as an IT practitioner is to take the sharp pointy scissors away from you know folks like you, the gar- the kindergartner running around the kindergarten. I want to take those sharp <laughs> pointy scissors away from you so you don't stab one of your other classmates um, as you're running around the kindergarten. Because you have to focus on your job, right? You of have course, to focus yeah. on your core competency, whether it's healthcare or financial services. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we have to get folks, you know, to recognize that we can't, we, we, have to, we have to come up with simpler, more elegant solutions than just adding layers and layers of complexity. Because at, if, as you add pieces to a puzzle, right, one of my favorite quotes is from Einstein. Um, and he says, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler, right? Um, and I love that. As a technologist, I love that. You know, I, uh, I come from, I have a strong technology background. And, you know, I love the German engineering, you know, especially in the healthcare devices. And if you look at some German engineering, great, great stuff. But they probably have five too many pieces inside, you know, some of their, they're notorious for making things beautiful and complicated. You look at an American, you know, maybe design machine, and it's got five fewer pieces. And what that means is it's easier to manage. When something breaks, there's fewer things that I need to look at to determine what broke and how to fix it, right? So my goal mm-hmm. is, to, is to reduce your IT footprint, right? Knowing that you're going to click that silly link, right? We all do it. And, what, and minimizing the exposure when you do click that silly link. 
Mm-hmm. And now bringing that back to, to where we started with, this has been a little bit more of a conversation with the Biden administration, which obviously has a ton on its plate right now. But what, what, what was the crux of what they're trying to do lately? And what's your critique on, on what you're seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I give them a B plus for effort, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, but, but what they've done is they've, they've just passed legislation that says, if you have been hacked, you have to notify the authorities. Um, okay. To me, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that really doesn't help, right? Um, you know, what we need to do is come up with more of like a fire code for cybersecurity, Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if we or or like seatbelts. Right. If you go back to when like cars in the 60s, you know, they had no seatbelts. There was like the slick bu- bucket seat that went across from the drivers to the passenger and you could fit four people across. Um, there was no seatbelts. And then they introduced the lap belt. Right. And the lap belt was great. It, it reduced the, the, the impact of, of a crash. And I, I, I can share a video with you offline about it. It's pretty cool, actually. And then they introduced the shoulder belt, right? And that progression, you know, um, really saved lives, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were on track where, you know, motor vehicle accidents, I think, were the number one um, cause of death, you know, for a while ahead of heart disease. Um, And now that's that's changed. And the same thing with cybersecurity, right? Everyone knows that they need to, that they shouldn't, that they shouldn't, you know, do certain things on the internet while they have their corporate email open or something like that, but they do it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So my job as a protect practitioner is to prevent those, those bad things from happening. And so again, back to the question, you know, reporting that you've been breached is it's great. Right. And I think that's, that's a, a small piece of it, but more importantly, you know, there are some really basic things that we can tell people you should be doing um, that, that don't cost you much to do. You know, and that will eliminate a lot of these risks that we see. Okay. And I mean, what are some of those things, if you don't mind? Like if, if you have like a cliff notes of what people can yeah. easily say, okay, I took a few steps, and but it got me 90% of the way there, maybe. Look, the first, the first thing is don't use your Netflix password for your email. Okay. <laughs> and the president of Netflix, Netflix is reportedly coming to Fort Monmouth. We're really excited about what it's going to do for the area here too, by the way. But the CEO of Netflix, um, I think I read an article in the Wall Street Journal where he said, look, our primary objective is to get our content out there and make it easier for our viewers to do it. Right. They know that you share your Netflix password between people. <laughs> I mean, that's not a secret. Right. So don't use that Netflix password that's like, you know, Yankees123 as your same password as, as your email, right? The hackers know that. The hackers have, you know, Netflix is a honeypot, you know, so to speak, um, of, hey, I, if I have your Netflix, if I have everyone's Netflix password, I probably have 30% of, of the folks' um, email password. And people know that. The, the, the next thing that you should do um, a little more technical is turn multi-factor authentication on for anything. You can. Um, mm-hmm. That's important. You know, a lot of folks think it's a pain, but it really isn't. <laughs> it's going to yeah. save, it's going to save everyone a lot of heartache, you know? Um, so turn multi-factor authentication on 
um, any place you can. Don't opt out. Turn it yep. up. And that's where you're logging in and then you're getting a text code and then you use that to log in again sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're getting a text code or you use Google Authenticator and there's like a four, dig- a six-digit code that's all randomly changing um, that you can use. Okay. And if I was going to break it down, those are probably the two most important things. Again, use a good password. Don't use the same password everywhere and turn on multi-factor authentication are probably the two most important things you could do as kind of like a, a do-it-yourself kind of guide for, for cybersecurity. Okay. And now kind of, I guess, overstepping just what households are doing or the small business, what is like the government's role? I think that's where a lot of people get a little bit unclear is they might think, hey, I live in America the government is protecting me, just like we have this enormous military and everything else. And we have police officers running around the city. They must be protecting me. But is that wholly true in the cyberspace? Or is there a government outfit that that is strictly their job? Or where is, because you hear a lot about like this private public partnership of who's ultimately going to be responsible to safe house all of our data. Where are we at with that right now? Look, I think I think we're we are far far behind where where we should be. So you've got lots of regulators, unfortunately. That's what we do is we we tend to overregulate, um, and you know, kind of like the healthcare system, right? There's there's multiple healthcare systems, um, but here we've got like Cyber Command, you've got the FBI, you've got local authorities, um, you've got you know the three letter agencies that that all have a hand in cybersecurity but they all have different objectives and different missions. So you can't rely on the government to protect you. You have to really understand that you're on your own. And, 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 I, and, and the government, it's just too big, right? They're always going to be behind the curve and significantly behind the curve um, because the priorities are shifting. So if you're a business that has a thousand or less employees and, and, you're, and you're relying on a on a small team, you know, to provide you with cybersecurity exclusively, you need to reevaluate that. You need to ask, you know, what expertise does everybody have? What type of continuing education um, does my t- is my team doing to stay ahead of the curve? Besides reading Reddit, you know, and GitHub for you know the latest trends. Um, so it's important that you know. Um, I think the way to do is kind of self regulation. Right. Industry should should self-regulate themselves like the SEC is actually doing a really good job about it. Um, And if we take a a snapshot from the SEC and how they're enforcing that, I think that's a really, really good example for publicly traded companies. I don't think they've quite got it down yet for like RIAs like yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're a publicly traded company and, you know, you've got you report, you have an, an internal auditor, an external auditor. They're, they are, and really just this year, we're starting to see them pick up the game and, and enforce some of these, some of these you know, basic um, hygiene that, that these organizations should be doing. Okay. And now on the flip side of this, so you, you hear about like they're, they create all these different uh, protocols that you have to follow and safekeeping and whatnot. What happens on the other side? Because you think like in the world of crime, Certainly the police can say, hey, lock your doors at night. But then their job is if somebody broke in, they're going to go find them and then they're going to be brought to justice. 
does that happen in the cyberspace? Like, do we ever really actually catch the bad guys? And are there penalties for that? Because it, it just always seems to be, oh, it was probably some kid in a basement in Russia that got into Target or Bank of America. And they kind of draw up that picture. What happens? I mean, have we, have we, has there been like a big, uh, like, uh, have they caught like one of the big bad guys, if you will? You know, occasionally they, 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 they put somebody in the paper that they catch them. Right. But um, it's, 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 um, it's a faceless crime. Right. So when a bank, when someone goes in and robs a bank physically for a thousand dollars, the cops show up, there's cameras, they catch the guy, they prosecute him. They charge him for 15 different, you know, uh, uh, crimes. But when someone hacks a bank and steals a million dollars, there's, there's, it's like, you know, the bank is responsible and depending on, on the person who's the victim, the victim might be responsible. So they're on their own. Um, because you know, they probably didn't have multi-factor authentication on, or they weren't auditing, you know, their systems properly. So, you know, this is, this is something that we can't rely on the government to do. It's too big of a problem, quite honestly. It's too big of a problem. It's not, it's not realistic to think that the government alone is going to come up and, and protect us. Okay. No, that's fair enough. And just to talk about some of these threats, not to, to scare anybody, but I mean, I had watched 60 Minutes. This was probably two, three months ago now where they had the uh, Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, on. And he said that this has kind of caught me because you think, oh, the Fed chairman, we're just going to talk finance and monetary issues. And he said that the greatest economic threat today is cyber. And then I was listening to a podcast not too long ago with uh, General Stanley McChrystal. um, And he was on there and he said that an enormous cyber attack on our country isn't probable. It's, It's imminent. It's just when is it going to happen is the real question. So you hear these things and and that's what I wanted to ask you is like, what is, what would you say is like the great threat? You you hear a lot about ransomware uh, with hospitals and things. Is that it? Like, are we waiting to see one of those on a grand scale or like what, what would it be that people are really, really keeping their eye on? Look, I mean, not to be a fear monger, right. You know, and, 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 but, but our electrical infrastructure and our municipal infrastructure is grossly unprepared for a cyber attack. Okay. Um, I would argue that at any moment, any number of government, you know, sponsored um, folks can just shut, shut it down. Um, You know, and the problem is, is again, right. You know, you take these small municipalities, what makes, what makes our country great is that, you know, it's governed by the people. Right. And so you have small municipalities that run their towns and it's, it's a great way in terms of getting the people's voice out there. The problem is, is that it's a small municipality who runs their own sewer authority, right? And they've got a Wi-Fi password of one, two, three. They're not backing up their data. And, you know, hackers can very easily access that, you know, valve and turn off the sewer system. Um, you know, so, so yes, I think that I think this, the, the threat of a cyber attack is real. Um, I think it's bigger than anybody kind of, you know, wants to, wants to believe because it's just so enormous. You're like, if it happens, it happens almost, right? Again, this unwinnable kind of theory. Um, but 
if we go back to what I was saying before, if we just take some practical approaches, you know, and self-govern and, you know, maybe come up with a fire code or create another ad council ad like seatbelt save lives, right? You know, we just need to get awareness out there that folks, folks need to take this more seriously because the impact hasn't been felt yet, but, but it's real. And that's, that's the problem right there, Brian, is that no one has really felt the really long-term impact of this. Um, but there have been huge hacks, right, that have really disrupted and had some real impact. I mean, we look at, um, we look at Maersk, right? I don't know if you know who Maersk is. They're the big shipping line. Um, they, they, they control or controlled a huge, huge number. I forget what it was at one time, but at the time of the hack, it was, I think, like 50% of the shipping um, um, infrastructure of the world. They were hacked a number of years ago and, and it, it shut down shipping for like two days, right? Imagine if we had a hack that does that today and amplifies the supply chain issues that we have, you know? And that's, that's the problem is that, you know, no one's really creating that awareness. Um, and and, and that's, that's my concern. Yeah, and just out of curiosity, maybe yeah, I don't know how much you know about that particular issue, but when you hear something like that, like they got hacked and it shut down the shipping for two days, which on that scale is obviously tremendous, the impact. But why just two days? Like, was this something that then the company, if you will, is kind of reacting to it um, rather than preventing it, which would be ideal? And how do they react? Does it just come down to these issues where you're kind of paying off the bad party to to kind of turn back on your lights, if you will. So without getting too technical, I, I know a couple of folks that, that worked on the remediation of that hack and I've talked to them and we've, there's a lot of case studies in the industry around that. And um, it was totally reactive, right? So they had every single government agency, the United, the United Nations had folks in there. Um, this was like a world issue, right? And, and they reacted and they got the bright, brightest and best there. Um, and, and at the end of the day, what would have prevented that, that from being so dramatic was just some simple, um, segregation and separating their networks. Right. Um, so, so again, you know, basic hygiene could have prevented that. And, and, you know, now they're probably way ahead of the game because they paid the price early on and maybe they're lucky because they paid the price early on. Um, but I think there's there's you know a multitude of other organizations that just you know aren't paying attention. They don't think it's significant. You know, if we take it like the sewer and some of these municipal authorities, they're like, who's going to want to shut down the sewer? But you know, why not? <laughs> right? It's an easy yeah. it's an easy target. And think about how disruptive that would be if the sewer system for New York City goes offline for two days. Yeah, yeah. What a what a mess you would have to deal with. And so I think there's there's almost like two categories here. There's like the the malicious attack like that of we're just going to cause upheaval for a big segment of the population by taking away electric or sewer or what have you. And then there's like the identity theft of being your organization got hacked and now people have your social, they've got your date of birth, uh, things like that. And it seems like what you hear a lot about now is, you know, this identity theft software. Can, can you, or not software, I should say, but programs. Can you tell people what exactly that does sometimes where, you, and I don't know the names, but some will say, okay, we'll 
reimburse people up to a million dollars of damages if you know you got hacked and uh, someone was able to take out twenty thousand from your checking account. Uh, what what is that? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what's what's great about that? Just kind of circle it back is that it creates awareness, right? So you've got LifeLock. I think they're partnered with Norton now. I forget who they partnered with, um, or Norton bought them, and um, you know, they've they've tied in their kind of ID management with security and credit management with their with their online um, security. And what that's done is created awareness. Look, let's face it. The person who's buying that insurance or buying that service is thinking about it. And that's just, that's just great, good enough at, 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 on its own. And if you're thinking about it, you're going to do some practices just to prevent things. So you're going to turn on multi-factor authentication. Hopefully you're not going to use your Netflix email. Um, and they're also going to, you know, part of that service is they monitor you on the dark web. Um, and again, that's reactionary, but it's something. So, you know, they, they're monitoring databases, you know, for getting hacked. Equifax, Breach, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure, but they may have been breached recently again. But the Equifax breach um, is, is, again, a honeypot. If I could get to Equifax, I've got everybody's social security number and their address, and I could, I could you know, spoof your, your identity anywhere. Um, so creating these services, not only does it help protect you in terms of monitoring the dark web for, for, for potential breaches that impact you um, and, and giving you insurance, but I think it just creates awareness, you know, that you need to, you need to pay attention to this stuff. Okay. And you mentioned dark web, which you hear a lot about. It sounds kind of spooky. What exactly is the dark web? Like how does somebody go there and say, am I on the dark web? Am I clean? Like, can you discuss that just for a minute? Yeah, so the, the dark web is not, it's not, you're, you're not going to get there through Google. You're not going to get there through any <laughs> known browser, right? You've got to download software um, that essentially creates, the dark web is create, considered a dark web because it's a bunch of individual computers that act as their own network of information. Um, so there's not a centralized repository. Like Google is searching and indexing sites and they've got everything cataloged nicely. With the dark web, it's not so it's not so simple because it's nodes of computers that are scattered around the world that that you search um, to to get this data. Okay, and then what what happens when people do that and they're like, oh wow, I didn't realize uh, my social was out there or my date of birth or whatever? Is it just for a sense of awareness, or is then there an exercise to go through to start cleaning that up? Well. You know, so again, these services that are doing that, what, what they do is they're monitoring the dark web for, for various breaches, right? They're monitoring the government agencies that are gathering the reports of breaches from, from organizations and vulnerabilities from organizations. And then they're alerting the consumer. Hey, you, you subscribe to Equifax and your, your information was part of the breach. The database that was, that was breached on such and such date your driver's license in there, your social security number was in there, your birthday was in there. Um, you should, you know, change your credit cards. You should, you know, do all of these things in response, response to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of people that's very common. You've got to get the new credit card because they're wherever it may have been, could have been a potential breach. And then you got to go reset all your credit card auto payments and all these different things. 
Um, that's kind of like a common story you hear from folks, but there's no resetting your social or resetting your date of birth. It seems like once that's out of the bag, it's out. Like, you know, how do you, how do you kind of put that back in the bottle? Yeah, it's an interesting point about social. So I, I just did a webinar with uh, um, Dr. Yoon Park um, out of Korea. Um, and she works with the uh, well, World Health Organization, and she's an advisor to some pretty large social media companies. Um, and she wrote a book called IQ, EQ, DQ. And um, I'm doing a plug for her book, but it's a great book. You know, so it's really focused around um, her, 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 her passion is digital intelligence for children, right? How, how, how are we reshaping a child's mind by introducing the tablet at two years old, right? What does that do to them? What does that do to them developmentally? Right. And then the book, the book talks about social media and um, there's a lot of statistics in the world. Um, and it's a great book because it compresses 15 years of her research into, you know, a five hour read for most, most folks. Um, and the data is just, it's, it's, um, it's amazing, right? It, it's clear scientific data. She's a, she's a statistician by her PhD. Um, and it talks about, you know, Girls are very susceptible to ticks, you know, and when they're exposed to social media and cyberbullying, you know, their stress levels just gather up and, um, and you can see physical, you know, ticks from them. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a great read. If you're a parent, if you're thinking about being a parent, it helps you kind of frame um, the, the importance of social media and how to teach your children how to use it properly. Um, but what I also wanted to bring up is, you know, you talked about your social, you know, media handle getting getting stolen. You know, one of the things that I am passionate about too is this 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 concept of anonymity on the internet. I get it. I understand that you want to be anonymous on the internet and you want to be able to um, kind of do things for your own protection, right? But there should also, and what we lack today in on the internet in, in social media platforms is verified identities right? We have the technology to confirm that a 14-year-old girl who's saying that she's 21 because she wants to get onto TikTok, okay, is 14. We have facial recognition. We have so many different things. We can run algorithms just based on her inputs into the keyboard to tell us that she's not 18, older than 18. But yet we, we knowingly allow these minors access to these social media platforms, you know, their brains aren't ready to ingest this data, right? And what Dr. Park is saying in her book is we need to be aware of that. And that's changing the way, you know, humans are evolving. But my, 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 my point to her is, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop here in a second, but my point to her is we also have the ability to say, I want to be on a fully verified platform. And that's not, that hasn't gone mainstream yet. And that's frustrating to me because look, if you want to, if you want to voice your opinion, anonymously and you want to you want to hate monger anonymously great i'm going to take that with a certain degree of seriousness but if you're going to do that and be totally verified that it's you now i now i might respect you and i might have a different opinion of what you're saying yeah i mean there's there's so many ways i could i could go from that and i just think of it too i mean we have three teens and you know, TikTok, Snapchat, that stuff is just kind of like dominating a generation. It seems like they can't get their heads out of it. 
so it, it is frightening because it's like, well, where does that all go? And what is that all connected to? And there's so many from emotional consequences to going back to hacking and things like that. Um, you know, when you think about Facebook and, and some of these huge social media giants and the conversation and controversy around all of the information that they're gathering and all this data and how they're monitoring and almost creating like a profile of how you think and what you do on the web, it really starts to become, and I think to, to that lady's book, it's almost like a collision of, you know, economics and then uh, security. And it's, it's almost like, I was just thinking, as you were saying that, like the conversation back with cigarettes, when it's like, oh, well, you got to be 18 to go buy a cigarette, but all the big cigarette companies would want to market it to 14 and 15 year olds because they knew that that could, you know, build a whole new economy for them. And I think that's kind of the same thing with social media is yeah, if we can lure in a 12 or 13 year old in a dickum, we've got a customer for maybe the next five, 10 years. So that's a huge thing. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get your input on it, but like, I assume there's no real easy answer on how to govern that. You know, there, there, there isn't, right? And um, again, just referring back to that book, because I, I, I thought it really just, you know, um, synthesized the information. We, we just have to develop like this universal moral code, right? And, and, you know, we have to say, there's just a lack of common sense here, guys. We're, we have, we're handing our child, who's a six-year-old, you know, who's using their mom's account because they couldn't access TikTok otherwise okay um and you have no way of monitoring all of the three second videos that are in front of this kid kid going forward right what is the long-term impact of that we don't know right so the only answer that i could come up with again is we need to develop you know and the government's not going to be able to solve this right it's just not it's too big to say i'm going to let some government agency figure this out Come on, guys, let's let's apply a little bit more common sense than that. By the time the government can get get out of their own way in this highly, you know, divisive environment that we built for ourselves, it's going to be too late if it's not too late already. So, again, we just have to apply common sense. Right. We we what I don't understand is why. Platforms like Facebook, platforms like TikTok, platforms, you know, and those are the two really that control everything else, essentially. Why aren't they allowing a verified user, you know, kind of kind of piece? And why aren't they deploying technology that's so easy to deploy to validate that? Yeah, maybe maybe some maybe this is the mom's account, but the way they're acting on the device, it's really a it's really a six year old, right? We know that, you know. So that's the only solution I can come up with is eliminate the anonymity, okay. Give yourself a safe space. Make sure you know who you're talking to on the other side um, of the conversation. You know, and then we have the technology to determine who's actually at the at the controls. Let's use it, right? It's it's so interesting because I mean, it sounds like ultimately what you're getting at is it all comes back to education. Like that, that will be the only solution, really. I mean, that's exactly right. Even like you know taking it back to where we started in cybersecurity, you know, you, you know, you shouldn't click the link, right? We need to educate folks that before you click the link, just check that it's really Microsoft sending it to you or verify that it's really your support team asking you to do that. 
And we just need to apply that same common sense to social media. It's the same thing with seatbelts, right? You, you're not going to get into a car without clicking the seatbelt. But it's amazing how slow it took humans to get to that concept, right? I mean, I'm not that old. <laughs> I remember being a kid and getting in a car and kids were like, oh, it's not cool to put on the seatbelt, you know, still. Um, but now that's not going to happen, right? You know, so, so we, need to, we need to just, as, as humans, we need to apply just a little bit more common sense to this concept of social media. And I think especially to the concept of, of cybersecurity, you know, where I'm seeing, you know, just low lying fruit, we we're, 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 we're able to help organizations very easily, you know, kind of plug some big holes. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's good that they are, it sounds like some of the big ones are relatively easily fixable. But just to take us back a little bit, I know when we went through your bio, it sounds like you started, excuse me, actually studying finance. What are people, what are you seeing like kids that are up and coming now and realize that cybersecurity is such a, a huge and growing field and they go to college, maybe one of these lofty universities with dreams of working for the CIA or the NSA or for Apple or, or anything like that. What are they getting taught? Like are, are they even keeping up with the curve? Like you said, the government's always well behind the curve, especially with internet-based issues. What, what are we getting taught now and what are we trying to educate um, without getting too technical? I mean, what does that curriculum sort of look like? Look, I, I think we need to, we, I think we're getting better at it, but I don't think we're teaching the basics of, of coding um, to, to our kids, right? Um, so something that should be, you know, in my opinion, early, early curriculum, lower school, the end of lower school is start teaching kids Python, right? Really simple language. Um, it was designed to be a simple language and it just teaches, trains your brain to think, to think in terms of that, right? You know, we are developing into artificial intelligence. We're not, artificial intelligence didn't come first. There's clearly, we know what the chicken and the egg first is here. The humans came first. We developed a code that's working towards artificial intelligence. I'll argue that we're not there yet. But if we don't teach our, our, our next generations how to harness that and stay ahead of that and get ahead of that curve, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna drown behind it. So, you know, the curriculum, I think we need to start very early with some of these basic um, um, coding pieces. And then, you know, we, we, we also need to, when we go to colleges, we need to, we need to teach um, computer literacy, you know, at, at, a, at a deeper level and make it more of a trade um, versus what's coming out is, you know, the, the traditional universities at four-year colleges, you know, folks are coming out. And they can't jump in. They got to go back into a trade school, you know, like the DeVries, like whatever, Phoenix universities. I'm not plugging them or, or, or promoting that. But, you know, let's face it. You walk out of a four-year college, I don't know what it does for you sometimes today. So we need to reevaluate what's happening there. And if we're going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in a four-year college program, let's make sure that we're educated because let's face it. IT and cyber and, and, and technology touches every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I agree wholeheartedly that some sort of base computer literacy uh, should be there. 
And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm always preaching financial literacy. And I've, I've pushed that, you know, even publicly to a lot of schools and things. And you're seeing a lot of that. It's kind of like a buzzword now, which I'm really happy about. But I'd never heard that term computer literacy because I don't think, you know, the most I had in high school is you had a typing class that you just learned really how to master that keyboard. And that was it. And then the rest, you just kind of learned as life went on. But like you said, tech in, is touching every aspect of life. So I think a, a base uh, education of computer literacy is great. But what about, uh, I mean, I assume that there are programs out there where if, if a high school graduate says, you know, I really want to get into cybersecurity, they do have those majors now, right? There are universities that, that do have a focus in that. They are. There are. There definitely are. But I think I think we need to, you know, just to help society as a whole is, you know, we we can we, we have an opportunity now. Right. To say, hey, we've got these trillions of dollars in in money that we're just putting out there. Let's let's put it towards education. Right. And let's teach people just that basic digital literacy. So when they come on to a job, you know, they can they can they can add more value. Right. Everybody needs it. Right. Whether whether no matter what job you're doing. Right. Uh, you know, having just some sense of more digital literacy or computer literacy is going to help you do that job better. True. You're here. I definitely agree with that. And so this has been a lot of really good information. Is there any um, any other kind of like subject matter that we haven't touched on uh, that? that I might just be kind of glossing over here that you definitely wanted to get off your chest? No, I mean, I, 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 we went pretty deep in, in, in an hour here. I'm, I'm impressed how, how far we went. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. It was fun. It's sure. been fun and, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, but I think, I think we really need to just focus on, um, you know, if I'm talking to small business owners out there, you really got to pay attention to cybersecurity because, yeah, maybe your data gets out there. And it might not have an impact on you, but if you're shut down for a couple of days, it's going to have an impact on you. You're going to be less productive, right? Or, you know, let's talk about how we can make you more efficient. If, are you using technology? Are you letting technology guide the way you run your business, right? It should be the opposite. You need to understand and make sure you have IT professionals around you that are giving you the ability to, to adapt and evolve, you know? And a great, a great example of that is we have a lot of clients in the fintech space that are doing some amazing things, right? I mean, they're trading um, cryptocurrency and trading all sorts of any type of derivative. And these are, just, these are some of the most fascinating minds in the world you know, that I have, I have the privilege of, of servicing as a, as a client. And they're a great example of they're, they're never... They, they they came to to us specifically a little bit of a plug here, but they came to us specifically because we're giving them a platform that's agnostic that's going to allow them to kind of always adapt and evolve. So before you buy that next computer, before you buy the next kind of piece of technology, you know, ask yourself: is this is this going to be a brick in six months, right? And that's that's kind of the thing that I challenge folks with: is you know, are you buying technology that's going to evolve with you? And help you evolve. And then the other piece that we ask folks is, are you overcomplicating your life with technology? Well, I'm a technology geek by every sense of the imagination. You know, I'm also recognized that, hey, let's just 
break out the old hammer and chisel here and we'll solve for it. We don't need to overcomplicate the situation. Hmm, that's well said. And a couple of last questions here. So from a security standpoint, who's got it down? Is it Mac or everybody else? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, there's, it's, it's a very complicated answer, you know, from a, from a physical piece of hardware, Mac is great, but it's just a physical piece of hardware. So as soon as you open up a browser, as soon as you add anything to that, it's useless. But from a lockdown operating system, if you're a, if you're in a personal situation, you know, the Mac is a great, great, great option for you. If you're in a business, um, you know, you need to, you need to make sure you have a platform that's going to evolve with you. Um, and don't, don't try to use just browser-based technology for everything because, again, you're, you're limited by what the capabilities of that browser are. Okay, interesting. And then I think a perfect close here, uh, you, you touched on it just a, a minute ago, was on crypto. I think this would be a good way to merge and, and finalize our conversation with your world and my world. Can you just, without getting into which ones, Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, what are the concerns ultimately with crypto? Because it, it seems like this universal currency amidst globalization and a kind of a smaller world that we live in today has some legs to stand on, that it's not going to go away. But then you hear, well, it all seems so hidden. It's such an easy way for you know evildoers out there to move money, that this is like an, it could be a money laundering paradise in the space of crypto. This could be a whole nother conversation, but what are some of the thoughts there? And lastly, you hear blockchain kind of part and parcel to that. What is blockchain and is that something we're going to see everywhere? We could we could go for four hours on this one, but I'll try to condense <laughs> no, it. To sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll try to condense it to, to a couple of minutes here. So just on the blockchain piece, blockchain's a great, a great piece of technology, right? A lot of people claim that they're using blockchain. Um and they're not, right? Or, you know, the purpose of blockchain is to create immutable or unchangeable uh, data, right? So that we know that this is true and verified, the ultimate verification, right? I can verify that I transferred the dollars or the currency to you on this day, and it was verified by however many different computers. And here's the blockchain that can't be changed because, you know, it's impossible to change it. So that's blockchain. Um, and it has uses. It's got, it's got a great, it's, it, you know, I can't get into it now. There's just way too much to do. It's got mm -hmm. its great uh, um, applications. And just be weary that when someone says they're using blockchain technology, if it's hosted on their own one single computer, that's not really blockchain, right? They're just using a database. So you have okay. to be careful when you're hearing about blockchain. Distinguish between a traditional SQL Microsoft database and a blockchain environment. Okay. I mean, and then on, and then, and then the biggest concerns on crypto, real quick, you know, is that we 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 don't regulate properly or we overregulate, right? Um, the the theory that crypto enables criminals is just ridiculous, right? Criminals are going to find their way to do what they do, right? And so, if you don't if you don't you know go with it and 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 figure out how to how to how to adopt it. It's just going to, they're going to go right past you. So criminals are going to be there forever, right? Let's just face it. Bad guys are going to be there. Um, locks keep the honest people honest, right? Bad guy wants in, he's going to get in. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
And, you know, cryptocurrency, I think, is it's a great, great, great opportunity for, um, you know, the world. I think it really is a great opportunity for society. Um, and, and it's creating opportunity. It's creating opportunity for underprivileged, you know, folks in different countries um, to get access. You know, it has the ability to stop runaway inflation in countries like, you know, Venezuela and Brazil. You know, if you look at the 80s, where, you know, in the morning, a, a loaf of bread cost 10, whatever. And in the evening, it was 100. Right. But your salary didn't change. You know, so cryptocurrency, I think, is a, um, uh, a gift to society. Right. Not to sound too whatever. And we need to embrace it. You know, it, before the euro, we had hundreds of currencies in the world. And, you know, when the big banks and the big governments were behind it, it was okay. Not to get too controversial here either. But now that we've got these thousands potentially of currencies out there that are, that are quite honestly more visible as to what's going on, you know, people are a little panicked because it's going to disrupt the system. And I understand that disruption is scary, but we should embrace that disruption you know, and, and, and use it to do great things. That's well said. I like it. Well, I know I threw you a little curveball at the end, but I think that was a great summary. So Michael, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think there's uh, some great nuggets of information that all of our listeners are going to walk away with today. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks, Brian. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with Michael Abood from Tetherview Technology. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Keep tuning in and wherever you're listening, don't forget to leave us a review. Take care. This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Kaderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Kaderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0K04194. Approval number 2021-129403. Expiration 11, 2023.